From Moses, the Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education Service, this is the In Her Boots podcast, a show about women cultivating the sustainable and organic agriculture movement and how she does it. My name is Lisa Kiverest, and I founded and lead the award-winning Moses In Her Boots project, providing training, resources, and support for women farmers. I'm a farmer myself, running in serendipity with my family in Wisconsin, and am the author of Soil Sisters, a toolkit for women farmers. The In Her Boots podcast celebrates the collaborative spirit of us women farmers and all women working to transform our food system and steward our land, sharing ideas and inspiration with each other. Whether you're a woman with a dream of starting your own farm or already have your hands deep in the soil, there's something for you here. Be sure to subscribe so you won't miss anything. Today we welcome a real pioneer in the organic farming movement, Joyce Ford of Blue Fruit Farm in Winona, Minnesota. Joyce shares her inspiring journey from drawing ideas from the Back to the Land movement to today running Blue Fruit Farm with her husband, Jim Riddle, growing a variety of organic berries. Hear about how shaking things up and trying new things are an important part of farming for her. Joyce has trained and set standards for organic inspection around the world through founding the Organic Inspectors Association, served on the Moses Board, launched farmers markets, and has led the establishment of various organic standards, training, and policy. We are here today at the beautiful Blue Fruit Farm outside of Winona, Minnesota with Joyce Ford. Thanks so much for letting us stop by, Joyce. Well, it's great to have you here, Lisa. Excellent. So thanks, too, for sharing your story with other women, particularly other women who are starting farm operations and have visions of one day being in your shoes and your boots, literally. Now, you do not have farming roots, right? Or came from grandma's farm or something like that. Not You're at new all. to this too. Right. I actually grew up in a small town in South Florida and uh, went to college, um, was graduated at age 21. And during that time, just decided that I wanted to be an organic farmer. We were doing some back-to-the-land kinds of things, um, reading Mother Earth News and Organic uh, Gardening Magazine. Helen and Scott Nearing were written books. And um, so settled on uh, uh, Minnesota because, um, frankly, the, the farmland was pretty cheap, comparatively speaking. And I didn't really want to live in the south anymore. I wanted to live where there was seasons. And so came up here and found uh, Wiscoy Valley Community Land Cooperative, um, so it was a, a, a place that has 360 acres, about 85 acres of, of, um, of tillable land. And um, I didn't really, I only needed about five or six. <laughs> and so um, started vegetable farming and selling at the La Crosse Farmer's Market. Uh, Jim came into the picture and... Um, we built this house and lived off grid um, and just continued to expand. We started the Winona Farmers Market, which was closer to us than the La Crosse Market, um, and just continued vegetable farming for about 15 years until about 1987. Then Jim started doing some organic inspection work, and I took some training in that area too. And in 1991, uh, through 1993, we started to um, organize an international organic inspectors association, and um, started in doing more organic inspections. And the whole organic um, 
farming was just exploding across the United States, and there was a, a great need for consistency in what inspectors were doing because there was a, over 45, 50 certification bodies at that point in time. Now there's over 90. And so um, we ended up stopping farming, most partly also because the deer became so plentiful here in southeastern Minnesota that they would just use those cantaloupes we were growing as little kickballs and <laughs> soccer balls and and eat a little bite out of a cabbage and it was very discouraging so we quit farming uh until 2007 and jack hadeen uh featherstone fruits and vegetables um there was a big flood here in 2007 we got 17 inches of rain in one night wow and um some of his fields were in low areas and they got flooded out so he ended up consolidating uh his farm down uh, by rushford which is about 10 miles from here. And um, his five-acre plot that we had been farming vegetables back in the 80s and 90s became available once again for us to use if we wanted to. It had an eight-foot deer fence around it, which was a plus for us given our past experience. And so um, we started thinking about what we might do. We did some holistic resource uh, management business plans and just considering what our resources were. We had a little bit more money than we had back in the 80s and 90s, and that was important to us that we wanted to be able to have um, proper equipment for whatever kind of operation we were going to do. We were also concerned about climate change, um, and definitely we have wetter springs here. It was difficult to get in the field and do all those transplants of, of vegetables. So we were thinking perennials might be a way to go. Um, we also How did you first decide on the fruit, or was that part of the research phase? I think that was part of the that, research yeah. that we were doing. We had a lot of experience with vegetables. We had none with, with fruits. And so it was like starting a farming over again uh, because it wasn't anything we really knew much about. Wow. Well, when you reflect back on that, was that sort of one of those, I don't know what you call it, transition blessings in disguise? I mean, do farmers sometimes need a reboot of newness or has that worked for you it sounds like I, well the i think it was really ch- it made, it gave us a lot of challenges and that we didn't had never had before and i think that was exciting for us i think both of us like challenges and we like new things we like starting new things and uh, so i think in in our lifetime together we've we've done a number of of new kinds of challenges um, and I think that's something that we actually enjoy. And then once they get started, then we're kind of ready to turn it <laughs> over to somebody else because, sure. you know, we feel like a lot of times when something's, when you've been with something 10, 12 years, it needs new energy. It needs new thought and stuff like that to make it better and to improve it and make the changes. Sometimes if you're the same person, then it kind of stays the same. So how did you nail the fruit idea then? Well, my mom, my, my mom told me, she said, um, if you're on an island and you don't have, and you can only choose one food, choose a blueberry. So I thought because it's a healthy fruit. Ah, sure, sure, and tasty, <laughs> and tasty. Soil isn't really suited towards blueberries, and so Jim was a little like, "Well, we should do other things too, because we shouldn't put all of our eggs in one basket." Uh, so he ended up um, doing some. Re- we did research. We came up with black currants. Um, another woman we were working with at the time uh, wanted us to do elderberries. Uh, there was an elderberry um, research farm down in Missouri uh, that the Moses Conference uh, had them talk at, and we heard them there. We went down to Missouri and saw what they were doing down there. We bought some of their variety selection. We're using their methods of growing them 
different from the European method of growing elderberries. So what year was this around then when you um, made this the berry transition? This was 2008, 2009, okay. and we started, we started getting the field ready by picking rocks, uh, planting um, cover crops, um, wheat and, and oats, which have, uh, if you incorporate the roots into the soil, have an acidification effect, and that was something mm. we were trying to do with getting our pH down for the blueberries. Um, we added a lot of peat moss. We made windrows. We planted buckwheat into those windrows and um, have some great photos of that time. <laughs> um, and then so then we had our planting plan. We started in 2010. And even at that time, we only really knew that we were going to plant blueberries and we had June berries. And I think we planted some aronia berries at that point in time. Aronia berries were coming out as another new fruit native to the Midwest, very high in antioxidants, and um, it was something that we wanted to try. We didn't go into any of them in a big, huge way. Well, we did do about 1,400 blueberry plants, and that's, that's the biggest number of plants we have. Um, and so we ended up with a three-year planting plan. Um, Jim and I are in our 60s. <laughs> So, so that when when you started all this, you were you were midlife. I mean, it right. wasn't. We were definitely. It was a new yeah, chapter. Yeah, I thought of it as being kind of something we would do in our retirement. I also didn't want when I was choosing kinds of things to do. I didn't want it to be in competition with other local farmers. We have a thriving local food community here. Uh, farmers, um, Harry Hoke uh, does other fruits, apples, apricots. He does some plums. We have a, a blueberry grower. We do have, you know, uh, raspberries and strawberries. But we didn't have anybody really doing a lot of blueberries. We didn't have anybody doing elderberries, aronia, black currants. Um, so um, that seemed like a niche for us, even though a lot of people have never even heard and didn't know what these, you know, fruits tasted like. We thought, well, that'll give us another challenge. <laughs> so we're... Jim and I are fairly well known in organic circles, and so that gave us an edge in some way in our marketing. Um, he was also serving on a um, statewide committee with other people from the Twin Cities, uh, one woman from the Birchwood Cafe, Tracy Singleton. So the Birchwood has become one of our um, customers, and um, so we had kind of some connections there through the uh, act. Um, activist work that that we do that has helped our marketing. But what getting, were some of the uh, challenges on growing the fruits different from your vegetable experience? More perennials involved or different well, soil? The, the weed like management is definitely a challenge. We, my approach to weed management is to, well, first I I try to prevent the weeds from going to seed. Uh, we do a lot of mowing, hand weeding, string trimming, but first and foremost, I want to try to get rid of that seed bank. I've done a really great job, or we have done a great job in getting rid of all the annual weeds. There's nary an annual weed in that field, uh, but we still have a fair amount of... That's amazing. <laughs> but, but that makes sense, though, from a time management perspective, yeah. if you're yeah. going to prioritize prioritize the ones that we have are going to come of, back. <laughs> we have a lot of dandelions, but we have really tried to work on the dandelions that are in the row with the plant, and we're not worried too much about the dandelions that are between the rows. That means we always have a seed bank there, but I look at it in the long term, what it's going to be like after 20 years. And so the other weed problem we have is quack grass, and that's just going to always be an issue. So we we do do quite a bit of hand weeding, uh, especially in the blueberries. They don't tolerate weed pressures as much as uh, the black currants are pretty good and 
and the aronia stands up to the weeds pretty well too. Interesting. So when you were transitioning to the blue fruits, where did you go to for information, or how did you learn this? Were there there is resources a there or? is some there are some online references. Um, um, there are some groups that like there's a Midwest Aronia group that has information. Um, the extension has done some books. There's a, on blueberries, a production, organic blueberry production. There's been a fair amount of research on uh, in Georgia, uh, particularly uh, on like say mulching and stuff like that. So That's great. Um, we just you know there's, there's books. There's there's uh, pamphlets. There's you know extension information, and some of it is geared for organic farmers, and some of it's just geared for the fruit itself, and and not you know doesn't differentiate. So how do you dif- what's the definition of a blue fruit? Is it a category or just a color? Or I think that we just made a good that farm up. name. <laughs> that works. <laughs> yeah. But it's blueberry. It's all the berries. What what berries do you do? Well, now. The berries that we do, uh, blueberries, if I have to kind of do them in order of ripening, honeyberries are our first ripening um, in late May, They're, and uh, they are definitely blue. Second is Juneberries, late June, then follows black currants, uh, starting to be harvested in, in July, and then blueberries as well. And then comes aronia berries in late July, early August. Then we have plums, which we focused on blue plums. Uh, most of those are European types. And um, followed by elderberries. And we had jostaberries in there for a while, but we pulled them out because they just didn't have the commercial value that we were looking for. When you talk about commercial value, are there berries that you still see in high demand? Or did you have to do a lot of education along the way of what, what is an aronia berry? We have done a lot of education, but I with black currants, next to... People in the United States do not know black currants, but people in Europe and I England know black currants, but I have very Baltic Estonian black, parents. <laughs> right. Very familiar with black currants. And so Etienne yesterday, she really was familiar with the black currants. So um I I have to say that um I probably could have sold another five or six hundred pounds of black currants. We're still getting requests for black currants and we've been sold out for three weeks. So um we have planted another two hundred plants and so uh, you know, as our plants mature, we will hopefully meet more needs. But there aren't very many people growing uh, black currants in the United States. So, right what's now. the maturity cycle on well, maybe berries in general, but specifically black currants? And you plant them, can you start harvesting the next year, or is it a couple These years? These are perennials, so yeah. uh, the minimum three years. Uh, blueberries more like Waiting eight to ten you... years, right? So that was something. Uh, I think is important as a business is you have to be able to float this the farm along with either other jobs that you're doing or money that you have, you know, because it's not going to be producing income. We still have yet to make a profit. And this is year seven. Um, we are on the verge of making a profit this year. <laughs> and I, yeah. we're, we're actually, you know, I just got a nice... The fruits of your labor <laughs> right. is coming. It's exciting. Because I, I actually haven't gotten paid myself in seven years. <laughs> well, that's important to know when people uh-huh. are developing these. But but right. as your your plants have matured, the market's matured too, it sounds That's like right. too. That's right. And we we actually charge fairly, I mean, our all of our fruit is certified organic. All of our fruit is hand harvested. I try to pay the people that help us a decent salary, to between 10 and $14 an hour. So um, consequently, our fruit is either at, you know, at the high end of what the market will bear, um, but uh, it's clean. 
um, it's beautiful fruit. It's ripe because we have the overhead netting and we can allow the fruit to fully ripen before harvest. So the flavors of the fruits are at their peak when people are eating them. Um, but going back to kind of why we chose fruits, the shrubs too, we also wanted to um, have fruit that had shelf stability. Um, strawberries and raspberries, blackberries, they're very soft skinned. And um, we felt that blueberries and some of the thicker skinned uh, fruits would have better shelf stability. Oh, that's interesting, yeah. <laughs> yes. Like it's mushy faster. Yes, I know right. that. <laughs> so they last longer at the stores or at, at people's homes and stuff. We also didn't want to have any, any fruit with thorns. <laughs> That eliminated gooseberries. It, well, why now? They're... They scratch you no, when you're picking enough, them. Yeah. <laughs> you're forever, forever getting little well, that, but scratches that's an interesting on your point arms. Because when one is designing their farm plan, whatever it may be, pick things you relatively enjoy harvesting, right? Mm-hmm. Right, right. I mean, we have some that would really love if we would glow, grow black raspberries and we just don't want to do it, even though I think there are some varieties of black raspberries that might not be have thorns, but we still don't want to do it because they are, again, a soft fruit. Um, so those were, you know, that was some reason. And then I think with shrubs, too, Jim doesn't really like being on the, he's pretty tall, 6'2", and uh, he just felt like he wanted to have something that he could stand up and, and work with. So it was just a number of different personal and kind of, you know, uh, marketable things involved in there. Sure. But we did do, uh, we've done a lot of education. I put together brochures, pamphlets, shelf talkers, um, you know, and sent them out. We do uh, various trade shows and do a lot of education there. Um, uh, the Feast is one that we do that's been very successful for us, and I highly recommend people. That's I mean, a holiday event in Rochester it, that Renewing the Countryside organizes so yeah more and more of these winter markets are popping up not you, winter markets right, but just winter venues winter venues off-season right. venues to uh-huh. sell your wares excellent i mean the first year we did that we didn't even have anything to sell <laughs> and last year we we actually had some you know fruit uh some jams and jellies that i make pretty much primarily for people to just taste the flavors and once you've tasted the flavors they they they're sold excellent thank you joyce Thanks for listening to our In Her Boots podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Kiverest, with the Moses In Her Boots project. This episode's audio engineer was Liam Kiverest of TechSocket.net. The podcast was brought to you by the Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education Service, Moses. The mission of Moses is to educate, inspire, and empower farmers to thrive in a sustainable organic system of agriculture. For more information on Moses, In Her Boots, and a bounty of organic resources, check out mosesorganic.org.